Welcome to the Perceptions Today podcast, where we discuss consciousness in all forms. January 2023, episode 39, questions with Anthony Peake in a roundtable part 404. He is a writer who deals with the borderline areas of human consciousness. Participants knew it was being recorded. Oh yeah, I'm in here as well. Yeah, I'm in. That was most peculiar. <laughs> just unbelievable. They just wanted to shut you down, Anthony. They do. Seriously, it happens so often. It's a, it's a running joke. My, my podcast, this happened regularly on my podcast to the point it became a running joke with my late assistant who sadly died last summer, two summers ago. But she and I used to joke about it. We'd wait for the Archons to hit, and then they did. Once, I actually brought down the whole of Facebook Australia. I was doing a live broadcast with Robert Bruce, and it just, it just the whole thing went crazy. It just went. I'm just so used to it. It's a running joke. Everybody who deals with me knows this happens. I don't believe in the Archons. It's a running joke, but it certainly happens far too often for my liking. You know, it really does. But anyway, I'm just going to post trying on zoom i'm just going to let people know on facebook I'm struggling to get my emoji down i'm sorry you got to get, you've got to get your emoji down, you know? yeah i realized yeah, that i was waiting for the innuendo <laughs> innuendo that's even a worse use of words isn't it there's <laughs> <laughs> a raised hand um if you didn't know i'm raising my hand right now Absolutely, because I can then record it on here as soon as we decide to start properly, which is good as well. Mike Fiorito, I uh, don't know. I've just I've just put it out on on uh, on Facebook, um, but nobody's responded to it yet. So let's just see what happens. Let's go with this. Oh, Mike is in, is he? All right. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Right. So we're now down to three quarters of an hour or an hour at most now, which is most unfortunate, but. Uh, well, let's let's get this one done. Okay, so should, should we start? Should we start now then? Where do we? Oh, you got. Here we go. Just hold on a second. Just can you just wait a second, guys? Just give me a second. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> I'm. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it, and um, I feel uh, bad today because I just yeah, things are. This is just a hectic couple of weeks, and and things are frazzled, so my brain is going crazy. But um, I've been having some uh. Strange and hilarious synchronicities uh, with uh, AP Strange. If people want to follow him on Twitter, um, we are going to be recording a show for Project Archivist on humor and the paranormal. So uh, we've really been delving in deep and uh, getting all type of uh, crazy and kind of uh, off color and uh, funny synchronicities. So we, if uh, we'll have those to discuss, because I always like to use examples when because these concepts can get very abstract. Yes. <laughs> And, um, yeah, and then if people have, like, their own stories or weird occurrences or stuff, I love to I, I love to hear other people's stories. And um, it, so many of them, you can uh, look at them and you see the circumstances and, and you'll start to look at the uh, paranormal or just the universe in different ways according to different uh, people. And I think that it seems to me that certain people have uh, different almost, like, aesthetics or talents when it comes to the paranormal. Um, you know, some people have a lot of funny stuff happen. Some people have a lot of like really dramatic or uh, distressing things happen. Um, or uh, they'll have just like very odd particular talents. I knew this uh, one guy uh, I was talking to on social media. And I don't know if people know the idea of like a Vardigar, which is the idea like you'll see a person. Um, it's when you uh, see or hear 
uh, like a person showing up and you, you think it's them, but then it's not them. And then like, let's say a minute, five minutes later, the actual person shows up. So it's kind of like a, yes, but in a very specific way, you have a lot of people, you know, we were sitting in the kitchen and we were expecting X, Y, Z to come over. And then we heard them at the front door, we heard the door open, but they weren't there. And then two minutes later they came in and it was like the same sound and everything. So it's that type of a thing. So he says that he's had a number of experiences of vertigars, but the weird twist to it is he's had, uh, I think, two experiences where someone else was with him, and they saw the vertigar too. So I thought that's like very specific to not to have this thing, but then also you can have other people see it. So stuff like that. Yes, yes. And then to have the ability to kind of, um, I don't know, just to make it happen for other people too. I was uh, talking uh, Matt Hopewell, who's AP Strange, and I were talking um, with Lloyd Auerbach, who is a uh, oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, does that uh, also uh, extend to other senses, like smells and stuff? I, I have not he- heard or read one of those stories, but I haven't really delved into it, but I would not be at all surprised. I'm sure you know that with uh, people that have, like, uh, after-death visitations from loved ones, it very often comes through smell they'll smell their perfume or they were a smoker or, you know, all that type of stuff. So yeah, I would not be at all surprised if that would happen. Well, my sister's more in tune that way, but she says she would like, my dad has a certain cologne smell that he mixes himself. And sometimes she can smell them. And then he shows up like a day later. There you go. You have, (laughs) right. That's what I thought you were kind of getting at, but now it's through to the smells, right? So you're just getting these whiffs of smells and you're like, wow, that sounds like that. And we're, you know, we're talking a day later, he shows up. So it's, that, it's really weird. Oh, and, that, yeah. and that gets to people that have, um, are psychic as a, like a broad term. And they'll often get their impressions through, uh, uh, usually it'll come through uh, one sense more than others. Um, although a lot of people have a variety, but some people will like see visions. Other people will hear things. Some people have like a sense of touch or an emotion coming through and uh, Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm ready to, to start recording as soon as you guys have finished the chat. Oh, uh, great. Yay. Riffing. <laughs> the next four minutes of audio, you will find that my responses are not there. That was due to the fact of technical issues on the day. Just to say quickly, Paul, I'm going to shoot off as well. Thank you so much, Paul. I look forward to hearing the recording of uh, the, the morning episode. So thanks ever so much for setting this up. I've, uh-huh. Oh, fantastic. Uh, okay, brilliant. Okay, I'll listen to that later. Thank you ever so much for arranging this ball, and thank you, everyone, and thanks to Anthony, obviously. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, I'll just reiterate what they've said as well, Paul. Thank you so much, and thank you, everyone, for listening as well. Um, yeah, I've got loads to add, but time's short, as you obviously know, and I've got parental um, responsibilities to take care of, which have been otherwise postponed. So, um, yeah, I look forward to speaking to one and all again, and Thanks again for facilitating the conversation, buddy. <laughs> Superb. Stay safe, guys, and uh, thank you again, and we'll speak again soon. Cheerio. Yes. Thank you. Uh, take care, everyone. Thanks for uh, this Zoom meeting. Good, Paul. Good. Can you hear me okay? Okay, I had to switch out my microphones again. I had a new one that clipped onto my shirt that I use for video recording, and, and it just won't work. <laughs> so back to this uh, headset one. 
But no, I'm doing good. Uh, I'm really sad that I missed the previous couple talks on reincarnation. I was super bummed about that. Um, but uh, yeah, I know, but I wanted to be part of it. Um, you know, be there live and have questions and things. But this was great. No, I, I could definitely could miss Anthony P. Oh, I said I definitely could not miss Anthony P. Had to make some adjustments to make sure I was here. <laughs> Gray beard. Sorry, excuse me. Um, I, <laughs> I just wanted, this is Eileen, imaginal traveler from Twitter, um, Graybeard, I just wanted to say, I loved your question there at the end. Um, sorry, I missed, uh, missed it, most of it. Um, but, uh, you know, us, uh, U.S. folks just, uh, aren't, aren't privy to the, the main bulk of the uh, conversation unless we, uh, stay up late or get up very early. <laughs> Excellent. Wonderful. Good news. Thank you. Uh, yes, I have been uh, running around like a maniac. I had to take uh, Oliver down to the grassy knoll to do his business. But no, <laughs> that was a really fun talk. <laughs> really? Huh? Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, just just really interesting, uh, really fun. And uh, yeah, I, uh, Terry, I'm really interested in uh, your work on uh, developing empathy as well. Um, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to the six and I'm always glad when I can um, tune into these because it's always very worthwhile and I really enjoy uh, just how much, like you said, just how much people share and they're uh, really talking in good faith and uh, asking interesting questions. I loved hearing about the uh, Vardigar by nose because it's one of those things you think this should happen and then to find out it actually has is uh, pretty neat. So, yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank, thank you, um, Paul, for, for having this, for doing all this, for working so hard um, to create this and make this happen. Um, I know that's not um, an easy process, and um, especially, especially with the extra stuff on your plate, you know. So I just want you to know how much I appreciate you. Bye. Bye. Update, this is 2023 February. What you heard in episode 38, Questions with Anthony Peake, where we had audio issues where I had to splice in answers. I've now found a recording with his original answers. So as you proceed now, you can listen to that episode again in its proper format. Enjoy. Hello guys, welcome um, to a slightly delayed uh, Perception Today uh, live cast. Um, very apologetic about the, the nice Archon attack we had, um, but one of those things we get used to, the irony is that uh, we were discussing about egregores. And of course, one of the things about egregores is the things that you bring into existence by your act of, act of anticipation. And we we were both expecting this morning that uh, the Archons would attack this morning and cause problems. Well, they were delayed slightly, but it does bring the question as to whether our anticipations of these things actually bring it into existence which is a very intriguing point as we got broken up there was the question from Cresta de Mayo talking about lucid dreaming and getting it back on track with that question if you could go back to that answer because the audio decided to disappear when you're explaining that oh right okay so the idea is that the, the concept of an egregore is something it is it is mind created 
and it is something that is brought into existence by the act of anticipation of conscious human minds or collective human minds. And throughout history, there has been, you know, within occult literature is the idea that you can create these egregores. Now, the word egregore originally comes from the Greek egregorus, which means watcher. And interestingly enough, the, the terminology was first really used on a regular basis in the Book of Enoch, um, which was one of the, the apocryphal gospels of the, the Christian and the Jewish Bible. Interestingly enough, um, that the Book of Enoch is not part of the canon within Christian and Jewish um, writings, but it is within the Ethiopian church, within the Ethiopian Coptic church. So that's quite intriguing. So if you're interested in the archons and the idea of egregores, this is probably your source material. And this is indeed why Enochian magic, uh, as in the work of people like uh, Dr. John Dee, and his assistant Kelly, Edmund Kelly, and also the work of people like Elisa Crowley. They were all working within the Enochian magic idea. But it's the idea, it's a thought form, and it's a thought form that we can manifest in one way or another. But of course, as Mark Stavish argues in his wonderful book on egregores, also they are collective beliefs that we have, such as even the concept of Coca-Cola or political systems and everything else. They, they are all mind-created. But ultimately, as we know from quantum physics, um, everything is mind created anyway. So it is it is only just an application of what science is now starting to discover. That's an excellent answer. Also, I forgot to say to people, if you want to raise your hands so that we don't overtalk each other with the icon, which is there, you actually told me. Also got a message from Estevel, which is that uh, Twitter spaces are now up and running. But yeah. uh, we'll stay here for the time being. Oren Voot, please step forward. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks, Anthony, as well. I'm, I'm glad you opened regarding uh, the conversation talking about Greek mythologies. Um, and it's that particular angle that I'd like to sort of come up with. Yeah, just a, quite a short question, really. Um, but I'll give you a little, a little bit of background behind it. As you know, um, my book is DMT, Deities, Myth and Tryptamines, which I like to think uncovers an archaic appreciation for a biomechanically correct blueprint of the human brain and possibly beyond. Mm. Um, my question regarding the Greek mythologies would be, have you come across any particular mythologies um, in the ancient literature that might be likened to the production of DMT in the brain or indeed the DMT experience itself? Um, the reason I ask this is it, it kind, kind of touches on the earlier conversation when you mentioned that DMT had been confirmed within mm -hmm. the brains of rats um, and, and the pineal gland. Um, we also know that the same enzymes needed for biosynthesis of um, DMT was also found in the hippocampus within the same research paper. Now, some background to the hippocampus, as you know, it's responsible for higher brain functions such as memory recall. But the hippocampus, hippocampus we find, is um, ancient, ancient Greek for seahorse because it obviously looks um, a lot like the sea-dwelling creature itself, but it's also described as a white eminence. But back to the Greek mythology, and in particular the myth of Pegasus, we find that Pegasus is a white horse whose father was Poseidon, god of the sea, and horses, no less. Um, and Pegasus, we find, was actually favoured by Nemesine, the goddess of memory, um, after it was reported that his, his hoof was... He yeah, Pegasus's hoof kicked open the fountain of Hippocrene, causing its waters, albeit memories or even DMT therein to flow. 
Um, but there's a kicker that comes along with this quite literally because it's part of the hippocampus that's actually called the pest hippocampus, which translates as the creature's paw. And for good reason too, because that part of the hippocampus actually looks like a horse's hoof. Um, so back to my original line of questioning, um, have you come across any Greek mythologies um, that could be likened to the production of DMC in the brain or indeed the DMC experience itself? Yeah, I find it quite fascinating. By the way, that's a wonderful piece of information there. Um, I was aware of the, the role of the hippocampus in this, but of course I hadn't made the link with Pegasus and everything else as well, and the, of course the terminology for seahorse. So that is very, very interesting. So thanks for that, and thanks for sharing this. Um, in terms of... Um, my approach to, to the ancient myths, I think you're probably going to be considerably more knowledgeable than I am. I touched upon it uh, in one of my earlier books, and I was particularly interested probably more upon the um, the role of the pineal gland within ancient traditions rather than DMT itself, although I am aware of the idea and the concept of uh, magic mushrooms within ancient Greece and things. So I'm aware of that. But I think that the the role of the pineal gland, if you take it through and you take it way back into history, you can actually follow the trail of um, the beliefs about the pineal gland right through along the Silk Road. And indeed, in, in one of my books, I, I travel, I, myself and the readers travel the Silk Road, going right back, going straight through to the Bond tradition within, um, within uh, the Tibetan tradition. Of course, the Bond tradition is the Tibetan tradition um, of, of um, shamanism. And interestingly, as an aside here, uh, one thing that really intrigued me, and I, it was very, very strange, is that a few years ago, you probably know I work quite closely with two Austrian researchers, Dr. Prokel and um, Dr. Dr. Winkler. And these are the guys that invented the Lucia, which is the lucid light device, which we argue um, brings about uh, uh, probably the generation of um, endogenous DMT or metatonin, as um, it has been termed in many cases, within the brain. Because um, both of the guys went over to um, Tibet with uh, Professor Errolda Haraldson, of, uh, Professor of Psychology at the University of Iceland, and they stayed in the Patala Palace. And what they did was they tested out the Lucia light device with um, shamans of the Bond tradition. And the shamans of the Bond tradition turned around and said that the lucid light device actually created the same effects that years of training does within the Bond tradition. But what was more peculiar was that one one, one morning they, they wandered off into the Patala Palace and found some rooms in the Patala Palace. And they told me that they found a room in the Patala Palace that was full of large glass cases. And inside the glass cases were these ossified pieces of matter. Uh, only they weren't matter, they were, they were pineal glands, elephants, pineal glands, and various pineal glands of other animals um, that were in India and that area of the Himalayas. And it's intriguing as to why the ancient Tibetans decided to do this unless there was some kind of veneration of the pineal gland in some way or another. Of course, the other thing about Greek tradition is as well is and and uh, not necessarily Greek, but very much the tradition of the Greek cultures within Egypt, you know, is the, the idea of um, the way in which, for instance, the burning bush and the role of Syrian rue 
within these things. But I think in terms of your knowledge is far greater than that. And you really have stimulated me to really dig into your work because the thing you were saying there was actually making me go back into my role of being an interviewer for my own podcast. And I was thinking, God, I want to know more about this. So we must get you on the show for the future because I think your work is very, very intriguing. Thank you very much. Discussion. Yes, I think so. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. Can I just ask you, Richard, are you far away from your speaker or not? You're a little quiet. I'm going to ask Anthony Well, is he quiet for you as well? No, he seems fine for me. Okay. Why is it the host always has the issues with listening to people? Why is it? <laughs> well, at least we survived in this room for a while, which is great. So if anybody else wants to raise their hand to ask a question, we're quite happy with that. This silence is because, ah, excellent. Terry Hawkins, if you would like to step forward. Terry, you got in. Wonderful. Wonderful. You got my message. Brilliant. Thank thank you, Anthony. I'm so sorry I missed it. Um, Unfortunately, living in California, a little bit of a time difference. Um, Thank you so much. I hope it's okay if I um, just move the conversation to a slightly different area. Um, So, obviously, I met you after reading your amazing books. And, oh, there's two parts to my question, actually. Um, the one part would be, you know, when we look at the daemon and is there life after death um, and how we have premonitions, or not, well, premonitions and deja vu and so forth, how much of that is also linked to the reticular activation system? So how much are we, you know how you might, I told you a story recently and, and it's like, oh, my God, and then there was this and then there was that and then I saw that and then I saw that. And the romantic notion that it was all, serendipitous or whatever word you want to use, Um, or was it that my unconscious mind was just directing me there because I already had it in my brain? Well, funnily enough, Terry, um, um, I don't know if I've ever used the term uh, with you, but I have this thing called synchrondipity. Oh, yes, I've read you. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> okay, and synchrondipity is effectively what we're talking about now. Now, the argument I would put forward here is that if cheating the ferryman as a concept has any validity, it has to it has to be proven by people's experiences. And of course, cheating the ferryman, I suggest that we have lived this life many, many times, mm-hmm. and part of us, our own higher self, the daemon, is the part of us that has lived the life many, many times. And it uses its knowledge to guide its lower self, its Edelon, the in-game, the in the, the creature, the part of us that just lives one life and dies. And that being is there to guide us in one way. And it, it will be, and it will manifest depending upon how open your doors of perception are. Now, I know from our discussions that your doors of perception seem to be particularly open. And as you and I have discussed, you know, it seems that we are drawn to certain people because we know and the daemon is telling us that you need to interface with this person because this is going to be a profound influence and importance. And the daemon just Yes. Because this will, uh, again, if people don't know me, we've got this agreement that being the host, I can actually just come in and <laughs> information out. Now, We've got Stephanie Quick, who's been researching synchronicities for over 20 years. And obviously, Terry, I haven't met yourself. Do you mind being called Terry or do you like your full name mentioned? My name's Paul, by the way. You can call me anything you like. Just don't call me late for dinner. (laughs) Good, good move. So Stephanie Quick has got 20 years experience looking into synchronicities and got a very good blog 
got to get in the right way around. Ghost Dog is a mystery box. Isn't that right, Stephanie? Yes, it is. And that's a little bit of a sink there because that's what I always say when people ask me what uh, I, I would like to be called. <laughs> call me anything you want. Just don't call me late to dinner. <laughs> so Stephanie's going to be with us on the 6th of January talking about synchronicities. Maybe you want to be around for that or even contact her because of the connection points that you're just bringing up. And this is why I interjected that point. That's fantastic. I will definitely um, put that in the diary. Well, the thing um, is, mm. I'm sorry, I was going to say that synchronicities, you know, are part of this because I think that it is, uh, as um, Wolfgang Pauli stated and as, as Jung stated, you know, it's an a-causal principle. There are things that are things that link together that, on a normal level, have no relationship, but they seem to link together in a very powerful way as if they are giving us some kind of a clue to the way in which we need to follow our lives. And, of course, synchronicity sometimes, once you start looking for them, they're everywhere and you see them everywhere and you perceive them everywhere. Of course, um, the uh, skeptic in me says, well, of course, there could be an argument for that. You're just looking for them. And of course, it's what's called confirmation bias or attention bias. But I know from my own experiences, that is utter nonsense. Like, for instance, my own, and I'll tell you a very small story here about synchronicity in my own life, in that I was hounded by seeing 1111 everywhere you know as many people are and of course my argument for 1111 was that of course it's a sequence of numbers that because of the way we are designed we scan the horizon our ancestors um when they were on the the plains of africa you know would be scanning always for predators Mm. or potential food sources so anything that was coming straight up from the surface we'd notice and of course 1111 is literally four lines and we'd notice it and i very much was taking this point until my wife pointed out one day and she said you know that you go on about 11.11 in your explanation about that? And she said, I'm not sure that's correct. And she said, do you know why? Because you say you have 11.11 everywhere, but the biggest 11.11 coincidence and synchronicity in your life is the title of the Dutch language edition of your first book. And I realized, yes, it was. The Dutch, get this, guys, the Dutch title of my first book is 11.11.11. 11.11.11 in Dutch means life after life after life. And every time I say that story, I send a shiver up my spine because there is no way that is to do with attention bias or anything. It's to do with the coincidence that I was seeing 11.11 everywhere and 11.11 was the title of my book. And I feel now there is there is an associate of mine who has written a number of books on the 11.11 phenomenon and she's traveled around the world looking for 11.11 phenomenon. Unfortunately, my, her name has just escaped me. It'll come to me. But she even followed the the um, certain parameters around the world to do this. And the coincidences that came up were just extraordinary. So there's something much more to this. And synchronicity is very, very, very intriguing. Yeah. I mean, I just, I had a big smile on my face when you were sharing that story. It was like a wow, you know, when you said the book title. So if we look at um, synchronicity and there's got to be a certain element, I believe, of um, self-awareness and trusting yourself enough to know um, or to even see it or to be a present for it. The other end of intuition I feel just in my own life is paranoia. And I struggle with, you know, especially if it's, if it's a... Um, if it's a negative thing or 
And I go, am I being intuitive here or am I being paranoid? Um, mm. And I sort of wrestle with that a little bit. Is there a way that you um, can share with people on how to actually tap into the daemon more? Like apart from me going, come on, like you're there, I know you are. <laughs> well, I've been working on this for quite a few years now as to find processes by which we can directly communicate with the daemon. And I think the first thing we need to do is to identify exactly how we can do this. And I think the first way of doing this is probably by just li- listening to that little voice, mm. listening to the the inklings. Now, the word inkling is quite fascinating because it can be directly linked to the idea of an inner voice um, because that's where the, the, the original term came from, an inkling, is is something like an entity. Oh. And we you need to watch the signs because sometimes it can be incredibly subtle um, in terms of its communication and it leaves clues everywhere. But it really depends what, how you listen. But, of course, one of the things that um, we were about to get onto when the Archons hit us earlier today um, was the idea of whether there is an evil daemon as well as a positive daemon. And I have a concept I call the cacodemon. Because, of course, the daemon is looking after you and it's looking after your interests but they mess, they those interests may not necessarily agree with other people's in, uh, survival. So you know it, it it's just it's just like anybody else. There's, it's good and evil. And I'll give an example of this of um, in the Stauffenberg plot when when there was the assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler in 1944 um, by Klaus von Stauffenberg. They placed a bomb uh, next to Hitler in this meeting, and Hitler for some bizarre reason got up and his his leg kicked the bomb behind a pillar and when the bomb went off it was the pillar that protected him now i'd argue that was his daemon remembering that it was a bomb and i will guarantee it was probably his left foot that kicked the bomb the reason being that if the daemon is located in the non-dominant hemisphere of the brain that's likely to be the right hemisphere which works the left side of the body but of course, that that was prote- that was protecting Hitler. But of course, it then extended the war and allowed Hitler to continue in his programs and everything else as well. So it's looking after that. So we need we need to always be wary of what the daemon is up to and why it's doing it. But the question is, how do we communicate with it? And I've got one or two ideas myself as a trained psychometrician. And one of the things I'm thinking of doing is using psychometrics and hypnotism to try and contact the daemon of some with somebody and effectively you can do this by doing something called the wada test and the wada test is you inject sodium amatol into the carotid artery in the neck and if you do this it deadens the dominant hemisphere of the brain it it knocks it out effectively and i know friends of mine who've had this done because they have temporal lobe epilepsy and it was to do with the, the, the some of the procedures they were involved in and one of my friends turned around and told me jane when this happened to her she said she felt she was a completely different person she wow. felt her normal self was diet was was disappearing and this other person appeared now if you do that and then have somebody do a psychometric test based upon the new personality you will get a psychometric profile of the daemon now, on top of this, I'd also argue that you can do this in hypnotism. Uh, people like Erickson used to do deep hypnotism. Uh, Erickson was a quite famous hypnotist. And they used to take people down to lower, lower levels of hypnotic states. And they get to a certain level. And Erickson said that when they got to this certain level, 
the normal personality disappeared and this other personality came out. And this other personality was completely and utterly different. It was almost dismissive of the hypnotist. And I'd argue because that's the daemon. The daemon doesn't want to be bothered with this sometimes because it knows what's going to happen and it knows about the hypnotist and everything else as well. But there are very it's interesting well- about what you say about hypnotism. Sorry for butting in on this one. Yeah, no, please. They're actually thinking that sometimes when people are having experiences or thinking they're remembering them, they might be actually creating them at the time of the questions being asked within the mm-hmm. hypnotic state. So that, again, you've had the story which you tell of a person dreaming of the guillotine and it turns out to be the picture hitting the back of the bedstand and causing that in a fraction of a second. So there's a lot of debate on hypnotism that you don't lead the person that you're actually talking to, which, Ooh, yeah, it's which is um, a difficult thing because it's such a suggestive thing. And again, Terry and everybody else in the actual chat, I've put two links, one for Stephanie Quick's trailer where she explains all about herself and all about her passions and the times of what's going on. And again, if you've not heard about the people that are interactive with our community, I've put in there from a drop to an ocean, which is basically meaning as researchers, we'll gather together and help each other and push forward instead of standing alone. And again, you've got Aaron who's in here, who's an author. And you've also got obviously Krista, who is a lucid dreamer, Anthony. And also you've got Estevelle, who's a very good skeptic. And also just seeing Tamara is also very knowledgeable on the medical side of things, as well as Paranormal Blip on podcasts. Again, my public service announcement is now done. That's a wonderful, wonderful dynamic you have in terms of the room here. Because to me, the whole mystery of hypnotism, one of our recent guests on uh, my consciousness hour was a guy called um, Alan Bates. And Alan is a, a professional stage hypnotist and a member of the, uh, the the British Hypnotic Circle. And he professionally does hypnotic regressions into past lives. And we've discussed this many times, and he is of exactly the same opinion that I am, that what is actually happening is there's an element of conf- confabulation whereby under hip- anybody who can easily go into a hypnotic trance state is the kind of person that is quite susceptible to other people's influence in the first place. So there is an argument that they're wanting to come up with something that will keep the the hypnotist happy uh, in one way or another. And they will they will pil- pick up on memories. Now, whether it's cryptomnesia, which, you know, is, is, is the things you've read before. But he's found on many occasions that while he's doing the hypnotism, he has people in the audience Googling. So the woman with the person who's hypnotized will turn around and say, my name is Fred Jones and I was in the trenches in 1914 at, at, at the Somme. And the people are checking it up. And the amount of times they've come up with the information as it's coming out, they've had it verified live within the 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 the, um, the, uh, the theater so clearly it is more than just somebody wanting to come across well it's as if they are tuning into what we earlier described in the earlier session earlier on today the akashic field or the akashic record the collective consciousness of mankind almost you know that you're twigging in tuning into people's memories and because if, as I said earlier on today, we're one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively, we carry within our minds the, the racial memories of humanity. So, you know, we can attune into these things because we are like waves on an ocean. You know, and we are just a wave for a small amount of time. We go back in again. And I'd argue that the daemon is part of the top level of the ocean. 
And then the next level of the ocean is something called I call the Uber Damon, which which is the Jungian collective unconscious. But there's so much we need to know here. And there's so much exciting research that we can all work together on, I think. Definitely. I'm just going to check with Estevel. Did you want to raise your hand to answer a question or were you just putting a thumbs up because of me talking about you? No. Um, can you hear me? We, we can. can. Uh, okay, because this is a really crappy old microphone. Um, no, I was just uh, fiddling around with all the stuff on this Zoom thing. I'm not too familiar with this. Anyway, Neither no, sorry. Carry on. Thanks. Hello, everyone. But Estevel is a great, great individual. He comes a lot, partakes as a co-host, really loves to get down deep into mysteries. Don't you, Estevel? Uh, well, you know, I'm just curious. Um, I have to say some of the things I hear Anthony Peake mention are a bit, uh, you know, they're like over my head because I'm not familiar with all the concepts. And so I'm basically the noob in the room. They go over my head as well, and I say them. <laughs> That's fine. They're all good jumping off points so that you can go and find information elsewhere, which is great. What I, what I always say is to people, I will give you the references. One, my philosophy is always don't take my word for it. You know, I'm not a guru. I'm no expert on things. Don't take my word for it. So when you read my books, everything I say will be referenced directly to academic papers. Then you can read the academic papers and make up your own mind and say, well, did he interpret this correctly? The same comes for when I talk about uh, quantum physics, when I talk about neurology, neurobiology, neurochemistry. These are all based upon things I have read and the research I've done and my interpretations of them. But ultimately, you're here to interpret the best solution to what your life is about. And if I can be used as some form of sounding board for that, all well and good. But ultimately, it's what feels right for you that is the most important thing. And also, Angel has a question. Oh, Terry, I think you got your hand stuck up. Well, let me ask another question. Yeah, I've left it up there. I'll go after Angel. Thanks. Okay. Can you hear me, well? Yes, you're still muted. Okay, well, I'm pressing out a new headset. So, can you hear me, Anna? No, it sounds like you got a pillow over the microphone, unfortunately. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, oh, you've pillow. That's better. Okay. I have a um, rather strange question. Have you ever heard of people possibly having, so like hypnotism, usually there's like a word that can be said, for instance, and it'll like awaken someone or it'll slowly start to awaken them. Is there a possibility that that could happen? Like a word could trigger an awakening to like your records that you hold within you or like a past life or something like that? There's a possibility. I mean, again, hypnotism is not my area of expertise. I've only read about it in passing. Um, but you do hear stories, don't you, that certain triggers. Um, and we know this within our own life. You know, if we've been traumatized by something in this life, you know, and we, we, we then have a great fear. I mean, my ex-wife had an irrational fear, not as far as she was concerned, but for everybody else of tortoises. And this was literally because when she was very young, um, her sister opened up a door, uh, 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 an opening in the wall um, in the doorway. In England, they have these things where you can serve food through this through a, a hole in the wall. And she knocked on this and uh, Jenny went to look at it and she thrust the pet tortoise into her face. 
And ever since then, she's had an irrational fear for tortoises, even though she knows the tortoises are completely, completely okay. But she has a great fear of them. And it's these things we can't override. Um, they're, they're normally called engrams or enigrams. They're sort of negative memories. And, of course, this is what therapists do. They, they dig into our past to find these things that are deep-rooted and deep-rooted fears and help us face them. So there's no reason why a word could not, be, could not enact in, in somebody a great fear. But on the, 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 the positive side is they can also evoke memories, can't they? Because we know memories are quite strange. I heard earlier on when we were talking about smells. And, of course, smells can evoke memories far more effectively than anything else mm. because the, the olfactory processing parts of the brain are very close to where the memories are processed. So you don't even need to think about a smell and think, when did I smell that? As you recall, you know, you smell something. You're immediately taken back. It's like quantum place. as well. It is. It's non-local. It's quantum. It's strange. It is, isn't it? And you make the smell and suddenly you are back in that part of your past without having to make the association in your brain. Mm. And this is, again, intriguing. You know, it's the idea of how does memory work? And, and of course, there's the big argument that, that memory is holographic in nature. It's all over the brain. And this is why they've never been able to find the place where memories are stored. They know the place where the memories are probably processed, which is probably the amygdala, but they don't know where it's stored. And indeed, a guy called Carl, um, Carl Lashley spent the whole of his life trying to discover the location of memories in the brain. And he trained rats and he cut part of rats' brains out. And he came to the conclusion in the end that, that memory was nowhere or everywhere. And of course, if it works on holographic principles in the brain, it will be everywhere. I love that. And um, I had another. We had a. Sorry, sorry Andrew. I was just going to say that we had a good conversation a few weeks back of talking Michael Talbert's holographic universe and going through the whole bit of Jeffrey Mishlove's New Thinking Aloud half hour and then the hour kind of version that he had on YouTube from 1992. And that was fascinating when we were going through all the bits that you were just discussing. Michael Talbot was one wonderful man and somebody that died sadly so far too young because he was somebody I would have loved to have met. Hello, where are we now? Angels. Um, I kind of lost I was going to say... Come back to a pillow again. Hang on. What the heck? I'm still on the same... I'm just on my phone. Can you hear me, Will? Stand still. That's probably the best thing. Okay, I'm still now. Can you hear me? Yeah, that's very clear. Thank you. Um, so if you wanted to, like, dig into what happens if you have some kind of awakening that starts happening and all these synchronicity is it normal for like synchronicities or whatever you would like to call them to continue happening for weeks on end throughout each and every single day is there something trying to happen in your brain is there something misfiring are you having like a mental illness may i mean you're not ill but is that normal or does that mean that there's some kind of awakening trying to take place and is there a certain age that that can happen in because i know there's a certain age i don't know what it is but i've heard it through like studying psychology there's a certain age like when the brain is like more developed and i know like studying and um like religion there's some religions that believe people started receiving like 
their calling from gods or something by a certain age is all that like tied in together and it's the same thing well that's that's a fascinating point and that there's so many threads that can be pulled out from that and i think one of the major issues and i think that probably everybody in this group would agree that what happens is that when you start getting fascinated by these subjects the world suddenly becomes a far more interesting and far more complex place and you start to make links with things and you start to notice things far more because they're being brought into your attention. And this, again, is something I mentioned earlier on, attention bias, which is what the, the skeptics would argue is, is why coincidences take place. You're looking for them. So your attention is pulled to the coincidences and you see them. Uh, and this is this is how it happens. And once you start noticing them, they're everywhere. Now, could it be that they are everywhere all the the time it's just that your brain is now starting to spot these sequences within nature and does nature work naturally as a, a synchronicity and its synchronicity is happening all the time now in terms of whether they are age related or not um, I would argue that there are certain neurological factors that do change as we get older and it does seem that the brain configures itself in different ways the older we get now, of course, there is an argument to say that the older we get, the more chances are of synchronicities taking place because we've had more experience. And the more experience of life you have, the more opportunity you have to link things with other things. As in the more... I think it's more than this. I think... Hang on, we lost our audio. Hang on, Anthony. I think we lost your audio for about 20 seconds or less. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I just want to check if we've got other people that we can hear. Terry, can we hear you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you okay. hear Anthony drop out or is it just... Yeah, just for a couple of seconds. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, good. Normally it seems to be just affecting me as a host, but I thought it, I'd stop everyone and get, make sure we don't lose any good information. Well, well, we're so jumpy now that we're affecting, we're expecting the Archons to find out we've, we've moved here and they've followed us. Um, so it's a possibility. But I think as we get older, you know, there are more opportunities to see things to see coincidences and the more we know the more information we have to draw patterns within things and of course as human beings we are pattern searchers out this is what we do this is how we bring information together but i'd also argue that there are many of us that find wonderment in the world we see things in the world that we ask questions behind the questions mm. and we think you know well what am i you know, I'm a sentient something experiencing something. Why am I here? Why is there something rather than nothing? And the more you dig into these things, the, the more people will say there lies insanity, but also there lies asking questions. And we need to continue trying to understand what is taking place here. And this is the great search in my life. And I know that the rest of you are probably very similar here. Whereas we all know people who really aren't interested in anything that we're interested in. They don't care that, that consciousness seems to just spontaneously appear in the brain when chemicals react with atoms, which is incredibly complex and incredibly amazing. You know, they don't care as to where memory is located in the brain. It's of no interest to them. And it's the same with a lot of things. So... Don't worry about it. You're questioning and you're searching for things and you will ultimately find them. And could it be your daemon is guiding you into this? You know, and it's, you know, it is the world is far more interesting. And once you seek out people who can keep you grounded within it. Yes, let's ask questions. Let's pursue these things. But let's make sure that we don't get carried away with it or get attuned into people out there who are willing to 
take our money because they can see that you're a searcher and here's an opportunity to prey on somebody and there's an awful lot of them out there as well so your questions are very very good ones and lucky enough this community is not really silo thinking there's enough diversity that come in and they feel it comfortable enough to put opposing positions and arguments of different theories without actually getting to argumentative states which is great because it's just Mm. another way to think later on maybe parts of both sides could be correct or lead you to another answer which is you wouldn't have found unless you had that kind of not confrontation but stimulation of the mind to go forward Mm, i agree so um can I just jump in? I've worn a mohair jumper, and it's not the exact best thing to wear if you don't have a coughing fit. Um, so I'll try to get this. Is it okay if I ask another question? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, I just love listening to you, Anthony. And so I love that, you know, it's not just the questions. It's the question behind the questions. And the best thing that I've learned about being on this journey for a number of years is it is an endless hole, you know, and – it gets more exciting as you get into the hole, but the hole you realise just is never ending. Um, but what I do find is that, you know, and if we use just the basic terms of 5% conscious awareness, 95% unconscious awareness, and that's what we tap into when we do hypnotherapy, is that what you're allowing through this daemon introduction or awareness is bringing that, I think, much closer to, like we're opening up that consciousness into the unconscious. We're making the unknown known and so you know my work that i do um and i see a much uh, a mass younger generation growing up and probably terry yeah and allow you to plug yourself because not many people probably know who you are i mean myself i don't know who you are i don't even know who i am paul um well (laughs) i um i'm so sorry everyone So I'm an education architect and I um, have spent 35 years developing um, education systems that incorporate um, intellect, philosophy and process um, into, I synthesize it in such a way that it gets quite phenomenal results for my clients. So I have, I was very fortunate as a young person to fall into um, a, a Japanese training company who were doing personal growth at a time when it was, you know, you were a psychopath and had to go and buy, you know, your books in a dark alley in a brown paper bag. Um, so I am very passionate about that, but I'm also um, an author and um, and I was uh, quite a um, renowned speaker in Australia before I moved over here. But I'm actually writing a book right now around the last three decades and watching an entire generation grow up. And I've identified 18 markers that have just been perfect in perfect alignment for us to have our generation. So I'm doing it from uh, 1990 forward. And so, it, and then I do the seven year cycles. And so I've placed into the seven year cycles as well. And every seven year cycle from 1990, we just compounded this, unbelievable perfect storm for these kids who grew up in an era where both parents were working um gaming you know most kids got their first game boy uh and then of course we had the introduction of facebook you know you know go on and on and now we have this epidemic of you know kids living with and i train and i have a team of trainers that stand in front of hundreds of thousands of people um who have anxiety depression 
And so, and it's funny, thank you so much, Paul, because this is leading to what I was going to ask Anthony. So we have this mass population who are now about to have their own children who really, I don't believe, have the neural nets of empathy. And empathy is the deep, that's the connection piece, the emotional intuitive empathy is the piece that connects us to ourselves and to others. Um, and there's no greater excitement or rush. So they are, so we're externalizing now. We're, we're going into gaming. We're going into, we're going outside of ourselves to get our rush of life. And I believe what you're doing with this, Damon, is you are igniting the thrill internally. And I think I said this the other day where it's almost like a dopamine wall. So you've got the metaverse and you've got this massive, um, exponential growth towards virtual reality and all of this, you know, we've got people buying virtual, it's just ridiculous to me, there's a place for it. But on the other side, there's nothing to balance it. And I'm doing my work in that, but I believe what you're doing is once you start to, I see it every day, you start to tap into someone's internal introduction to themselves at a deeper level and I've never seen anything more exhilarating for that human being. And I think that's... uh, a massive opportunity. So that was my first half of my question. The second half was I would love to know what you do from a how you quantify, um, you know, in your other role. So I think the two are very closely aligned. Mm. Yeah, because probably people are not aware of the fact that I also work as a management consultant. And, <laughs> I, you know, sort of where I earn my living, as it were, because you never earn a living as a writer because, you know, unless you're J.K. Rowling, you're not going to do that. Um, and I've been long fascinated by business dynamics and how we can develop people within within the culture of business in in many many ways, and that's what interests me in your work, Terry, as well. And the idea that um, human beings, you know, we need we're developing and we're changing, and if we we have this Damon Adelon dyad, it's very very powerful because it gives you the opportunity to realise that you're not alone, even within your own head that there is somebody there that is guiding you and is helping you, which is the larger version of you. It's the, the, the universal you, the immortal you, your soul, for want of a better, better word. But whereas other people come along and they, they use this terminology, but they're not doing the science. Mm-hmm. What they're not doing is going out there and taking it out and saying, look, you know, you can show the human duality of consciousness because it's evidenced purely in the fact that we have two hemispheres of the brain. You know, for instance, why is the brain in two hemispheres? There's no physiological reason for that at all, particularly because both hemispheres are slightly differently wired and indeed are slightly different sizes. Um, So clearly there is something going on there. Um, And as we were saying earlier on this morning, you know, but we have other areas of the brain that are singular, like the pineal gland, the pituitary gland. Uh, the corpus callosum and various other areas as well. So it seems the brain, it's telling us that there's something unique about this. And again, if you look at the writings, there are people at the moment, um, some very interesting researchers, Ian McGilchrist, for instance, wrote a book called The Master and His, Master and His Emissary. Now, this is Professor Ian McGilchrist, one of the top um, researchers, I think, in, in neurology in the UK. And his master and emissary model has been hugely recognized worldwide. And it is a very, very powerful model, but it is profoundly similar to my Damon Adelon model. You know, there's no quantitative difference between his arguments and my arguments. Um, So clearly there is there is validity here. 
So what we need to do is to listen in and tune into that little silent voice that is there all the time. And it's how we communicate with this. And this is one of the areas that my research is taking me now to try and find ways of opening up these communication channels. Uh, because if we do... Point on that one, sorry to butt in. Okay, no, it's fine. If we're talking about kind of synchronicities and empathy, just very quickly, I never thought of taking the project that we have now from just the normal Twitter dumping of information for other people so they could easily find it. But we had people like Aaron Voot, Stephanie Quick and others, they were all talking to me saying, why don't you take it further and go into a podcast? The Twitter space turned up and then people turned up. They started to form a community with researching, empathy, interconnection, making it even better. And they're turning up for over four to um, five hours at a time, all wanting to talk. And it's not one person standing on a soapbox doing it. They're all quite happy to interact with each other. And this has been happening since the end of September. And we've had over 15 sessions, plus obviously guest appearances from yourself, Anthony, and others. And it's amazing to see there are people out there you have got the empathy bit. Obviously, Terry is talking about there's quite a lot more people that have not grown up with the empathy or doing it. But there's a lot more people searching to try and find out what's going on with themselves as well as the strange events they've experienced on the outside. So the synchronicities are bumping into everybody else organically, like we are doing now. It's just fascinating to me and the rest of us, I feel. Well, I feel we're all being drawn together. I say this regularly, that there's reasons behind this. There's a pattern behind it that we're not necessarily aware of at the moment. We are tools for something that's very, very intriguing. And more people are being attracted to this in many ways. And, you know, particularly the role of empathy, the role of understanding of other people's motivations and feelings. And again, some of you may know that... Um, I occasionally write books that are, are, are slightly different to my standard books. For instance, my book on J.B. Priestley. Um, but I'm particularly focusing in on my book on the American science fiction writer Philip K. Dick. And I wrote a book called um, uh, A Life of Philip K. Dick, The Man Who, Man Who uh, Remembered the Future. Because Philip K. Dick was particularly fascinated by the concept of empathy. And indeed, many of you will have seen the, the movie um, Blade Runner. And Blade Runner is based upon a novel that Philip K. Dick wrote called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Now, in the movies, movie itself, it misses one of the main themes of that novel is missed. And that theme is empathy, because the whole issue is, do androids have empathy? Can an android have emotions in the same way as we do? And in the novel, he has a religion that's created that is not in the film called Mercerism. And Mercerism is is to do with empathy. And there is a TV program that people watch regularly in the in the novel. And it's an elderly man trying to climb up a hillside and people are throwing stones at him. And people empathize with the pain that the old man is feeling as he tries to get through life. Now, this is of profound importance because we need to open up more empathy. And I know that Terry's analysis of this is really quite fascinating. It's the why how millennium, millenniums are different and Generation X and everything. And the way in which modern technology and interfacing with um, virtual reality, interfacing with um, electronics and interfacing with computer games is moving people away from empathy of other human beings, the warmth of other human beings and understanding what is going on in other people's heads. 
And this is of profound importance because I think we, we need to move back to that a little bit more. And I think this is what our groups are doing here now. You know, this is not the Anthony Peake show. I'm not important. You know, I'm not. And anybody who knows me knows that, that that's my feeling. I'm, I'm just a, a cipher of some sort, but I'm nobody important. I'm not a guru. I'm not anybody special. But what I am is somebody that embodies what a lot of people would love to do, which is really dig deeply to come up with answers. And that's all I'm trying to do. I'm the, my writing is my own exercise in trying to understand who Anthony Peake is. And I, you know what, Anthony, and I don't want to dominate the conversation either, but I, <clears throat> I, you know, I called you the lighthouse, and I think that is very much the case because when I read your book, um, now, and I think everyone on this call would be very well-read and experienced and so forth, because um, empathy, like, I, you know, not to sprout my own thing, but I, w- I was one of the pioneers of empathy in Australia 35 years ago and suffered great abuse. Um, was called a Scientologist. I had people throw books at me, um, you know, thinking that I was this, like, you know, witch. And so, and it was just basic empathy. And I'm talking cognitive empathy. And I, and the world is still sitting at cognitive empathy because in all of my research, and the journey of the soul has always been to find itself, hasn't it? Like from the beginning of time. And now I've, I have never felt alone. It's, I've always done, you know, because I did Pitman, Flipman and, the voice inside of her head. But since you introduced me to the Damon, I've never felt alone. I felt like I've got my little soldier, my little man, my little whatever you want to call it. I've got, and it's a him for me, I've got him right there beside me. And I feel safe. I feel guided. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm so exhilarated by the future. So when I, I did an empathy circle, because I realize that in order to have true empathy, you have to go through the dark night of the soul. And most people actually won't enter that. I called it Pandora's box um, because we love to do the superficial level of pretending that we know what it feels like. But you have to actually drop into the ancient parts of the, dra- the brain, you know, the amygdala, the, the campus. The, you know, that's why we have all these people going, I'm an empath. And I go, no, you're not. You're a sympath because, you know, our, our role is to, it's very difficult to hold the space of another human being without bias. And But when someone hands you their story or their reality of you and then to try that on for size, you literally, and maybe, you know, it's the reticular activation system opens up. It may be our daemon. It may be, well, you really wanted to see what other people's experience of you is. Here it is. And it's like a hailstorm. Um, and it's that walking through that, I believe, that then takes you to a whole new level of a universal understanding. And, you know, when we get there, that's where healing begins. But I believe you found a very simple, easy door for people who have been on this crazy quest of 10 years in therapy or whatever it might be to define themselves. But in actual fact, it was just sitting there all the time. Yeah, listen to that little tiny voice inside. Mm. And I feel that we... Our daemons have been drawing us all together. Our daemons, you know, when I, I when I do my lectures, I always say the, the fact, and it always strikes home to me, and I say, at this point in time, your life has been a series of coincidences to get you to this point now, having this conversation. And your daemon has been working on that plan, making sure and positioning you subtly in one way or another to get you here now at this point. And I think when I you start, I agree with that. You do. I've had too many coincidences to 
not realize now what to listen for and what goes on when things kind of turn my stomach that's the thing that i kind of need to do and it's really strange or for example within the community there'll be times when i think i actually need to talk to this person directly that's communicating and pass me information and when you make that connection as you said it's like you know they are the right people to talk to for example, in this room, there's like Aaron Voot and also Stephanie Quick and also Greybeard, along with a load of other people. But they just bring so much information and Angel. And it's, it's bananas how we've all connected up without actually going out looking for people. Well, it's, it's like bananas. you, Paul. I mean, you, Paul, you facilitated my communication with Aaron Voot. You know, and I did that talk down in Brighton and he turned up with um, the Dreaming Draguers. Um, and of course, you know, the whole thing that's come from the Dreaming Jaguars and the, the stuff they film. And I know RN and myself have both been filmed by the Dreaming Jaguars and they're incredible professional filmmakers. But without your involvement, that wouldn't have happened. You know, that was, no, that was uh, RN Voot has a question. He's just put his hand up. No, I was just going to state that it's only since I've been. Um, starting this kind of writing career, I guess. I'm on my fourth book now, but since I've been doing this, the synchronicities almost go hand in hand with the writing. It's crazy. I mean, I've literally been slapped in the face so many times with answers that were staring me in the face somewhat, but I'm looking, I've been looking for kind of, um, looking to tick boxes to, to, to make sure I'm heading down the right kind of avenue of inquiry, as it were. But then I'd get a certain synchronicity, excuse me, synchronicity that would happen. Um, and it, it absolutely, I mean, it literally renders a, a writer speechless, you know, sometimes it, it, it's mm -hmm. crazy. Um, the synchronicity just, I was just talking about me and you hooking up, Paul. Um, just very short anecdotally, we, we were going to meet each other at Graham Hancock um, talk in London a couple of years ago before the the, the outbreak. Um, I was late for late for excuse me for the kickoff of the for meeting my dad down there. My dad said that he was talking to someone in the queue, getting on like a house on fire. Um, I'm obviously texting you saying I'm going to be late X Y Z. Lo and behold, when I turn up, you guys are actually standing there talking to each other at the bottom of the stairs. Mm. It's, it's crazy. That was wild. Well, I, I it was over 300 people. <laughs> you know, there's, no, even, there's even more bizarre one than that. I don't know if you guys know of the of Breaking Convention, uh, which is the yep. huge DMT event uh, that takes place at um, the University of Greenwich. Now, there are around about 3,000 people attend that. Plus, there's probably another two or 300 speakers. So it's a huge amount of people. And people are wandering around all over the place. It goes on over three and a half days. It's, it's a massive event. And it's it's all over the campus, dotted around the campus. I'm in a little group talking with a little group of people. And I'm explaining that um, I'm supposed to be meeting up with some guy who's going to be interviewing me. And I'm explaining this to the group. Um, uh, and as I do so, a voice says, oh, that's where you are. And it was the guy that, I was, that was supposed to be interviewing me. And he didn't know where I was within the whole place. And he happened to be walking past me as I mentioned him. And you go, what? And as you say, Oren, it, it, it makes you go, wow. And I think writing focuses this in some way. Uh, you, you know, make, Yeah, you couldn't make it up. Sorry, French. I mean, I'm actually 
penning a chapter at the moment uh, regarding ancient mythologies, um, and in particular, um, the chapter that I'm writing is to do with the mythological rainbow bridge. Um, and again, I was a little hesitant if I was heading down the right track for, for confirmation of what I was actually trying to uncover. Um, and and uh, I'm sitting there thinking, am I right? Am I wrong? Am I reading too much into this? And as I'm having that thought, um, a text message goes off. I open it up. It's my dad. He said, oh, I'm, um, what are you up to? Um, I said, I'm writing. I'll get back to you a bit later. He said, okay, no problem. He said, I'm just uh, just listening to um, one of my new vinyls. I said, oh, what are you listening to? He said, Jimi Hendrix. And I said, oh, fantastic. What are you listening to? What one are you listening to? Rainbow Bridge. Oh, God. Unbelievable. Well- well, it happened. It happened. Well, funnily enough, this morning and this morning's, which I've now uploaded as well, and you'll be able to listen to this. But this morning, the same thing happened, didn't it, Paul? We were talking that we, we got talking about altered states of consciousness and how they were facilitated. And people started talking about bangs on the head and the way in which a bang on the head makes you think differently. And as they're doing it, I'm sitting there, and in front of me is a book I'm rereading because my previous guest on my podcast on Sunday was a guy called Daniel Pinchbeck, and the book is called Breaking Open the Head. And you go... This is phenomenal. Woo, woo. And you see the jokes, don't you? It's kind of like a joke. You, you, You wait for the punchline. And sometimes it's embedded. You don't quite see the joke at first. And then suddenly you go, oh, yeah, I see where you're going with that. And that's the magic that's of it all. There's a lot about that because of her passion for synchronicity. She's got so many under her belt that she can tell people, haven't you, Stephanie? Uh, yes, yes. I um, I have to say I'm listening while I'm I, I doing stuff around the house here. But, um, yeah, I mean, these are the type of things that kind of uh, open your whole worldview and if you can explain, Stephanie, if you can explain a little bit about your coincidence, I just need to, to nip off for about a minute and a half. So please just continue. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just be back. We're okay. all hum together while you disappear. No, Stephanie, we'll actually go into a breakdown. Yeah, well, to me, let's see. One of the things that strikes me most about synchronicities and that I find really interesting is that, of course, um, the classic definition is a meaningful coincidence. And it gets to the aspect of meaning. And that is the thing that uh, tends to strike people about synchronicities. When you see, for example, a uh, something you had been thinking about personally a lot strongly that is suddenly uh, out there in the world. Um, or, back, you know, it hasn't. back, by the way. Oh, just oh wow. Like, that was a short uh, minute and a half. <laughs> Time does go quickly and slowly when we get together. <laughs> yes. Well, I was just I was just saying that the whole uh, to me, what's fascinating about synchronicity in terms of like the paranormal or consciousness is that it really highlights the dimension of meaning. Um, you know, we're meaning-based creatures, and when you notice the synchronicity, it's because you see that there is a consonance of meaning that's coming out in ways that it shouldn't be expected, or that highlight a certain person or emotion, something you're thinking about. They op- it opens up a door to you, um, as far as uh, like the library angel, right? You, you want to find a book, and then suddenly, you know, circumstances come together. Actually, certain people reported they'll be actually be like in a bookstore or a library, and the book will fall off. That they're looking for will actually fall off the shelf. Um, yeah, so for me, uh, that's interesting. I mean, all the uh, 
the physical aspect of chemistry or physics or, or all that type of stuff is, is fascinating as well. But um, when it comes down to it, it's like, what is the meaning of it for us as human beings? And like you were talking about with the daemon, the daemon is, um, has uh, certain ideas that are meaningful about what you should be doing with your life. Like what's your life about? What, it, what do these ideas mean to you? How do you express these ideas in your daily life? Um, and so for me, that's just the, one of the, the part of synchronicity that I find so fascinating, even when it doesn't seem to have any kind of like, some of them seem, well, like if the, if the book falls off the shelf, that seems PK related, right? But other ones don't really seem to have any kind of necessarily, uh, uh, psi or psychic paranormal aspect to them, but still they are very intense experiences because of the meaning dimension. So, well, well funnily enough, on terms of the the, the the books falling around and the amount of number of, of people that are, have contacted me after reading my books when they've come across them in the most extraordinary tape of circumstances. Uh, for instance, a recent guest on my podcast is Amanda Radcliffe. And Amanda is a young woman that's living down in the south of France at the moment and was recently involved as being the um, the technical advisor for the new um, movie, The Colour Out of Space, if anybody's heard of it. It's the new movie with um, uh, Nicolas Cage. Okay. Now, she was the technical advisor for that. Now, she came across my work in the most peculiar way, and she'd only recently told me about this. I've known her for many years, but she said literally she was in a bookshop, and my book literally fell in front of her, and she picked it up, and she opened, and this is really extraordinary. She picked up the book, and she opened it, and she, her mind went, to, uh, her eyes went to one particular section, and it's where I write, and this is what I write, and I know what I wrote, and I turned around and said, what made you pick up this book? What sent, what series of coincidences brought you to this point in your life where you're reading my words? And she just looked, and she said, the book fell out in front of me, and I'm reading this. And she said, I could not believe it. And then there is another lady who um, is um, somebody having a packet of crisps there. Sounds really yummy. That's what I thought. Um, I thought it was you. I'm trying to figure no. out who's gone off. The <laughs> no. um, but there was a, a blip. Paranormal blip. But there's somebody else that um, is part of my group as well is a lady called Susan Laybourne. And Susan is a, a, a powerful medium and clairvoyant. She's she's quite extraordinary. She's the most extraordinary person I've ever come across in this field. And she was telling me, and I think it was Susan. I'll stand corrected. It might have been somebody else, but I think this was Susan. And she said she was down in London about to do a BBC program. And she said she was on the tube. And as she was traveling on the tube, there was a lady sitting opposite her. And the lady stood up and dipped her bag and a book dropped out of her bag and it fell at Susan's feet. And Susan picked up the book and tried to give the woman the book back. And the woman said, no, this book is for you. You must read it. And she got off the station and the next station, leaving Susan standing there with this book in her hand. And she's going, why? And she said, I started reading the first few lines and I realized what you were saying was so extraordinary. I canceled my meeting at the BBC and went back to the hotel and read your book in a day and did the meeting the next day. And you, you go, you can't, you can't make this up. These things are so extraordinary and they happen so often in our lives, you know. And it's, again, all of us being drawn together because Susan now has become a really good friend of mine. Amanda is now a really good friend of mine. And I know of so many people 
this happens to. And it's not me. It's not me gravitating. It's it's the gravitational force that's pulling us all together. And I think the significance of this particular program that we're doing now is we're going to build on this. This is going to be the first of a series. And believe me, more and more people are going to get attracted to it. It's a slow burner. And I don't know what we're going to create, but I genuinely believe that all of us have a little bit of the jigsaw puzzle and we're all carrying a little piece. And one day we're all going to get together and we're going to put the pieces together. And that's going to be the answer. And we're all going to sit around and go, God, it was obvious, wasn't it? I genuinely believe that. And that's the reason why I've I kind of boiled it down and probably either stole it from somebody else or found it. But just using the idea that we're going from a drop to an ocean that we all get together and we find these things as we go along because it just blows your mind when you start doing it. I mean, for example, Pete in Paranormal Blip, if he's got the opportunity to talk, will tell you about just the strange coincidences and how it's helped him as well as helped us when we all get together and have these live conversations in Twitter space and talk to people. And it is very much a marathon rather than a sprint. And I think that's the best way it's going because the quality of people that are coming in are all very genuine. They're not Mm. trying to pull the wool over your eyes that I can see. And the information is just fantastic. Well, I think that's what we've got to be. We've got to be a counterpoint to the, the the really weird way out there people. There's got to be a counterpoint. We've got to keep in the science because effectively, if we are going to be effective in any shape or form, we have to be able to communicate our ideas to people who will not accept them. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is to use their language. And this is what I do. I use their language to, to get across the ideas I invest in understanding the science. I invest in trying to understand the maths of the quantum mechanics because I know that that's where they will come in effectively. Does well, Pete want to We've got two questions here from okay. Angel and also Paranormal Blip, if you want to take those. Um, thank you very much. Hang on, uh, hang on, Paranormal Blip. Oh, oh, oh. Hand up first. Sorry, sorry. It's in order. <laughs> I was going to say, paranormal could go first because I haven't heard them speak in a while if they want to. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Angel. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you very much, Anthony. Thank you very much, Anthony. I've been really enjoying it. And the, um, are you calling them archons? The gremlins have kind of got to my equipment too, as everyone and Twitter and everything else. So it's kind of falling about a little bit today. But I've, you know, I, I get, uh, get an awful lot from listening to you, Anthony. So thank you for joining us or for me joining this, the, uh, the Zoom here. Um, one thing that I find really interesting, your, um, idea of cheating the ferryman and I read your paper and I got a lot out of it but I've got a question because my folks okay first of all on synchronicity I did an episode of my podcast on synchronicity which is really interesting um, area and today in uh, Secret Santa I was given a um, Christmas present by Santa I suppose maybe someone I work with probably by Santa on synchronicity which is quite nice or or, sorry on coincidences I think it's called Beyond Coincidence the name of the book Um, but yeah so my folks did a uh, wrote a book a long time ago now about 30 years ago on reincarnation and in that and I did a, a Twitter space a couple of weeks ago with Paul on it and in that there's a couple of 
um, rock solid, like from my point of view, rock solid reincarnation stories. You know, the evidence is, from my point of view, you know, kind of overwhelming that the children had lived before. Now, I want to, if I could ask you, Anthony, would, have you come across a reincarnation story that convinces you that there's something in it that is kind of different to your um, theory or kind of what's the relationship between, if you like, the kind of classic reincarnation, you know, that, that kind of classic cycle, if you like, and where you sit in your theory, cheating the ferryman. And I'm yeah. not sure if you could talk about that for a bit. No, please, absolutely. Anthony. I mean, both reincarnation, because literally both the standard interpretation of reincarnation, which is being reincarnated, is exactly the same as cheating the ferryman. But I think my cheating the ferryman is more closely akin to the term reincarnation because you're reincarnated back in your own body rather than being reincarnated as somebody else. Now, reincarnation has intrigued me for a long time and I know a lot about it. I've read and I've been reading about it for nearly 50 years uh, and I know all of the research. I know all of the famous cases. Um, I've interviewed people who have been involved in, in, in reincarnation research over the years. I know the work of Ian Stevenson really, really well. I wrote a book on reincarnation with Irvin Laszlo a few years ago. So I, I understand the principles. And I'll put forward my issues with reincarnation, then I'll, I'll come back to the linkages. It is known that we are in a position whereby we learn by our mistakes. So in other words, I will... If I make a mistake, I will try to avoid making it again. Now, reincarnation states quite categorically that when you die, you are reborn as somebody else, maybe in a different time, a different geographical location. If you take other belief systems in reincarnation, you may have not been born as a human being. Okay. But your mind is a new mind. There is no memories carried forward within your everyday consciousness of your previous life. So my question has to be, how can that be evolutionary? How can that be iterative? How, if I do not know the mistakes I made from my last life, how can I put them better in another life when I'm not me? Okay, so that was the first point. The second point is the process by which the, tra the, the, the consciousness travels from one place to another. What's the mechanism whereby I die and somehow my consciousness then comes out of my body and then at random manifests itself in another body somewhere else? Now, different religious groups believe different periods of time between the last incarnation and the next incarnation. Some of them believe that you're incarnated in your same tribe. Uh, the Druze have these kind of concepts, the Klingit Indians in uh, the Klingit uh, uh, um, Native Americans in, in the Pacific Northwest have a different principle on these things. So when people turn around and say that um, reincarnation is consistent around the world, it isn't. It is not consistent. Any anthropologist would tell you it's not consistent. So that's the next question. But to me, it is more important as to why people, only certain people, can under certain circumstances remember their past lives why is that why doesn't everybody remember their past lives they don't so in which case there must be some kind of screening mechanism coming in involved here and if there's a screening mechanism what is the reason for the screening mechanism because if it, if it divorces ourselves from our previous life 
have done seem to help anywhere. So that's that's that model. Now, I would argue that the evidence for reincarnation is very powerful, but it can be counter-argued that it is also evidence for collective, the collective unconscious, the Jungian collective unconscious, and DNA memory. And the idea that DNA can carry memory, and indeed going back to my point earlier on, that we're one single consciousness experiencing itself subjectively, in which case we carry the memories of all humanity. And under certain circumstances, we can access what is generally known as the Akashic field or what I would call the zero point field, the information field by which this universe is created. In other words, this universe is created from information. It's not solid. It's not physical. It's information. OK, and particularly information from the zero point field. So. When you regress somebody to a previous life, the memories they are gaining, it's rather like a tuning into the Akashic field and just picking up on a particular signal. And that's the signal that you will receive. And again, I work with people who are professional hypnotic regressionists and they are of a similar opinion to myself. The more you get into this, the more it seems it's accessing an information field. OK, rather than part of your own past. OK, now there, there are then cases of, of, of childhood regression and everything. Now, um, I'm not breaking any confidences here, but for instance, one of the most famous cases that is cited again and again and again in terms of childhood reincarnation is the case of the young child who supposedly was a Second World War pilot. And that comes up again and again as being the most powerful proof of reincarnation ever. Breaking news, there is a business, an associate of mine called Michael Lee Suddeth, who's a professor of, um, of religious studies at one of the universities in America in Los Angeles. He's about to write a paper that will disprove and destroy that particular case out of the water. I mean, really seriously out of the water. He's gone into the case to the nth degree and the whole thing falls apart. OK, so then I find that you look at start looking at these other cases with a fine tooth comb. They're not quite as convincing as they seem. They initially seem to be convincing. But then you look, for instance, the Indian cases, the majority of Indian cases that are involved in reincarnation that Ian Stevenson explored are very intriguing because the vast majority of them involve a lower caste person claiming to have been a higher caste person in a previous life. The incidence of low of low, of higher caste people claiming to be reincarnation of lower caste people, surprise, surprise, is very, very rare, if not unknown. And of course, there's a reason for this, because there's pecuniary advantage to be made here. If you turn around and say that you are you are a relative of a, a Maharaja, there's chances you might get some money from the back of it. You know, so we have to sniff that out before we just exclusively believe. But there are other cases that, are, again, are profoundly convincing, but I'd argue that they could be to do with the memories that are, that are encoded within the brain, within the patterns within the brain. Now, let's go back to cheating the ferryman. Let's, let's just compare and contrast. You live your life. You meet people. You fall in love with them. You have children. You have families. You have experiences. Reincarnation means you lose all of them. They go. You know, you, your loved ones disappear. Your children disappear. You're in a completely new life where you lose everybody you love. Cheating the ferryman says the opposite. Cheating the ferryman says, and again, I do the science of this. You know, I don't, I'm not just saying it because I'm making it up. This is based upon scientific proof, okay, that you get reborn as yourself and you live your life again. 
but you can change it. But it means that the people you love, you don't lose. It means that the wife you love that you spent 60 years of your life with will still be with you. It means your children will be, still be your children and they, you'll grow to love them and you'll see them grow up again. But this time round, there is a part of you that remembers the last life, the daemon. And the daemon will be the person that will guide you through this life to avoid the pitfalls of the last one because it will remember the decisions you made and will try to communicate with you to make sure you don't make those errors and those mistakes. And of course, this is proven. I'll guarantee that all of you at times in your life have had that little inkling, that feeling that you know somebody and you've known them from somewhere else and you end up being a friend of them. We have all met before. We have had this conversation many, many times. We're now back to doing it again. Why do I think the proof of this? Well, precognition for a start off. Nobody can explain precognition, but we know it happens. Reincarnation can't explain precognition. Cheating the ferryman can. Because if you've lived this life before, there's part of you that knows what's going to happen in the future. Because it's lived it before. That part of you that remembers the future is literally remembering the past into the future, if that makes sense. Deja vu, you have, a, for instance, people think that deja vu is an evidence of reincarnation. Well, the moment's reflection tells you it can't be, because if you have a, a reincarnate, uh, you have a deja vu sensation now. You are in your body, in the location you are, wearing 21st century clothes as you, standing in front of a computer or a cell phone. If it was evidence of a past life, you'd be wearing Victorian clothing. You'd be wearing ancient Egyptian clothing. You'd be speaking in a foreign. And this is the other point about reincarnation and hypnotic regression. Nobody can explain to me why it is that if I regress somebody to a previous life as an Egyptian prince, how do they understand what I'm saying to them? And why do they not speak back to me in Egyptian? Why is it they don't understand any Egyptian? They don't because it's not the same thing. In other words, if I was a if if I had been a French person in the 14th century, and I'm reincarnated now as me, and I'm regressed back to that person, I'd be speaking in 14th century dialectical fr dialect French, wouldn't I? And that's all I would understand as a peasant. That never happens. Never, ever, ever, ever happens. The person always speaks in English or whatever the local language is. They may occasionally fall into phraseology, but they don't speak the language, and they understand modern 21st century English when they're interfacing. Now, one could argue it's telepathy. Well, you could. I don't accept that one, but you could. So I think cheating the ferry makes more sense. And I think it is more rewarding. It means that I'm not going to lose myself and my loved ones. I'm going to be me again and again and again, but a different life every time. People turn around to me and say, am I suggesting the eternal return like Nietzsche? No, I'm not. I'm suggesting that it is a simulation of your life and every outcome of every decision you can make is already encoded within the information field. Because every second we make different decisions and every second a different universe gets created by that decision rather than another. And again, very quickly, this is again hard science. I said earlier on there's something called the sum over histories of, um, of quantum physics. Um, there is also something called the top-down hypothesis of, Richard, of, of Stephen Hawking. These all say the same thing. 
The evidence is there. The evidence is in plain sight. It is what physics and cosmology is telling us is correct. Did I answer your okay, question? Okay, thank you. Yeah, you really did answer my question. Thank you so much, Anthony. I really appreciate it. Um, two thoughts, not because I know time is short. You don't necessarily need to come back to this, but two thoughts that spring to mind. The Akashic, the Akashic field, I totally understand that that is a... You know, that that fits in to my understanding of reincarnation really well. And also you probably know, uh, I think it might be Jim Carter, uh, Jim Tucker, sorry, mm. the um, Division of Perceptual Studies. His, um, where, where reincarnation cases, the people look like each other, which is quite interesting, like a very kind of familiar facial, you know, basically the same person kind of reborn essentially. Um so thank you so much, Anthony. I, I got a lot out of that too. It's so, you know, we can talk further and I hope we do at some point, but I know time is short. So if you want to, you know, please respond, obviously. But if, if somebody else has got a question, then um, thank you for your time, Anthony. Oh, thank you, Peter. Peter, an excellent question. Thank you. Okay, just to stress that I'm going to have to leave in about 10 minutes, if that's okay. So if we can wind up there. So, Anthony, I was just, and I find that all um, fascinating. And as you said, you know, there's the scientific evidence to back it up. My thing is, I couldn't think of anything worse than coming back. Every, and I'm not saying because, you know, there's, this is nothing about the love that I have for the people in my life. I just feel like it would be Groundhog's Day over and over and. So what is the meaning then? Like, for me, it's the question of, um, and this is just a hunch that I've got or whatever, um, that we are we, we have to break through or break out of whatever this is. I just think that we are in basically a prison on the planet and there's a much higher um, dimension, for want of a better word, um, for us to operate in. I think the important point that people miss about cheating the ferryman is that it all takes place in the final seconds of your life okay and it's so important that i am not saying that even reincarnation doesn't happen but what i'm saying is that at the final point of your life you can relive your life over and over again but you live it dramatically different and it was one of the points i was making earlier on that that your life at the moment is dependent not just upon your decisions, but the decisions of your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, all of whom were making decisions, all of which would have impact upon your life. Mm. So I, I use the argument, for instance, that my parents were about to emigrate to Tasmania and they didn't go because my grandmother was ill. But there will be a version of me with a record of a version of me that moved to Tasmania. And indeed, in the the megaverse, in the, the, the universe, in the multiverse, the outcome of every decision of every person is already encoded out there. So the variations on your life that is possible is virtually infinite. You could have lived in any country. You yeah. could have pursued any career. But all of it happens in the final seconds of your life. And at the end of that, when you do, you move on. Now, you ask about what the purpose of it is. The purpose is to meet perfection. If you look at, at Buddhism and you look at the idea of reincarnation in its in its principal terms, you get reborn again and again and again till you live the perfect life and you're the perfect human being and you become an avatar. I would argue in cheating the ferryman, it's exactly the same. 
only you do it as yourself. So like Connors in the movie Groundhog Day, he lives a different day every day. And I've interviewed the guy who wrote that, Danny Rubin, from one of my podcasts many years ago. And Danny said he calculated that probably about 30,000 lives that Connors would have had. But if you look at the film, every day is different. He does different things. He takes different viewpoints. And this would be the same. A quick one to add to that. One of our community called Ricardo, he actually found the document where his first draft of Groundhog Day was so dark with the way that it was going over in the period of time that it was taking to do things that the studio didn't want to do it in that manner and they had to change it into a comedy rather than that and edit it that way. Yeah. How he told me he, he did it was quite interesting in that um, he, he was in a, in a theatre with his girlfriend watching a cinema, in the cinema watching a film and he realised that all the actors knew how the, um, the, the story would go and he thought, I wonder how they'd react differently if they knew how the story would go. And that's where the whole stimulation came from. Other people have argued, and incorrectly, by the way, that um, it's based upon a very famous novel written by Peter Ospensky called The Life of Ivan Osokin, which was written in the early 1920s. Um, very, very similar principle. But in Ivan Osokin, he makes the same, even though he has freedom of choice, he still makes the same errors. And that's a very important point. And uh, uh, Ospensky, the Russian philosopher, argues that there are certain people called bite people, B-I-Y-T. And bite people, because Peter Ospensky had exactly the same hypothesis as I do. Um, I, he didn't do the science, but I do. But his hypothesis was very similar. Um, and he argued that certain people will still make the same mistakes. And they'll still go in the same patterns because you're almost, it's the way you're trapped to do. But I'd argue that, you know, to me, it's invigorating because it means that over hundreds of lives, you can then live the perfect life. You can do what Connors does in the last sequence of Groundhog Day. Do you remember? He's running around the town. He, he's underneath the tree because the little boy's about to fall out the tree. He's, he tries to save the old tramp. The reason he's doing this is become he's become a perfect human being. He's become an avatar. He's become... Uh, an, an expanded human being. And there is an argument in, in, um, in certain cultures, particularly within Gnosticism, that certain individuals, when they live the perfect life, can then go back into the life to help others. You know, and, and, I'm just going to quickly find out from you. I know time's short, but Greybeard's got his hand up and also Paranormal Blip again. I don't know if Terry's got another question after that, but I know everyone's going to be brief with their questions if you want to quickly get around there as they haven't had the opportunity to talk. Sorry, just to say that's a mistake, Paul. I should have sort of taken my hand down. I'm not sure how to do that. <laughs> Sorry about that, Paul. It's got, that's okay. Greybeard, did you want to quickly jump in? Greybeard, can you hear me? Can you hear me okay? Try some more words, please. <laughs> can you hear me okay? I'm sorry. I, I tried a new microphone. Can you hear me? Um, my, my question, uh, I may have missed this, so I apologize. Uh, but I'd like to hear your relation to uh, the daemon and... and how it guides us and how we learn to communicate with it and how that relates to how, like how an ego death would relate to opening up that doorway. That's an interesting point, isn't it? In terms of ego death of the loss of personality, you mean, and, and, and things. Um, the daemon is your ultimate ego. Um, the daemon is your ego in effect. Um, so it's the real you, it's the genuine you, it's the immortal you. And if if we argue that, you know, when we die properly, we then move on. By the way, again, this is the things I've been putting forward here. If anybody knows it, it's very much the Bardo state. 
if you look at Tibetan Buddhism, they have this place between life and death called the bardo. And in the bardo, you relive your life again. Um, and again, this is nothing new. You know, it's not as if I'm bringing forward anything that's revolutionary. There, are, there have been many groups of people that have believed in this this rebirth thing. But the daemon itself is is the pure you. It's the you of, of, of all your lives. Um, and it carries forward all of these and it develops and it grows effectively. Basically, I think you'll find that everyone just evolves to try and help others. And that's where mm. you'll go through. Empathy. You've done it wrong. As Terry, as Terry said, as Terry said, it's developing empathy. The more lives you lead, the more empathy you develop, I would argue. I think that works well with some people because even if you come against someone you've never seen before and they're argumentative from the get-go and you haven't even said anything to them, the people who have got the empathy will start going, well, what happened in their day that has caused them to be that yeah. way? It's not because what's happened, what you've done to them, something's triggered them, like someone's spilled coffee on them and they're kind of up wild about it. Do you know, it's one, of the arguments, it's one of the arguments I've used over the years, and I've said even the person who's acting the most irrationally possible within their own mind, they're acting rationally. Nobody acts irrationally except by their reactions to the circumstances they find themselves in. And once you realize that and understand, as E.H. Carl, the great British historian, said, understand the bees in their bonnet. And that's empathy. It's saying, you know, why are you saying this to me in this way? What What makes you want to be nasty or horrible to people you know um, that's what i feel with the community that's evolving around us and the people that we touch they have got so much empathy because when they come they're spending hours talking and sharing some of their deepest either medical or historical trauma or abuse and it and even when you tell them look this is being recorded they're still quite happy to actually give this and feel mm -hmm. it's a safe space almost like a psychiatrist's room but it's really weird because they really come and just feel that safety net. Which is brilliant. Actually, now I, I am at the point where I'm going to have to shoot in at any second now. So um, if we can tie up for now, um, Terry, we can catch up again to, to continue, continue our conversations. And thank you very much for everybody being involved here. It's been fascinating. And I know that we had a bad start, but I think what we've created now, I think in many ways, again, maybe our Damon's realized that we were going to move to Zoom and we we're going to have this fascinating conversation. So mm -hmm. thank you very much for spending time with me. It's been really good and I really appreciate it. You're amazing, Anthony. And thank you, Paul and everyone. It's been wonderful. Thank you. No problem. What I'm going to do is quickly wrap up and say that if you are listening to this either on the Perceptions Today podcast or the Anthony Peak YouTube channel, which is if you go to that application and type in Anthony Peak, one word with the one on the end numerically, that um, we also got Aaron Voot in the house with his books, which you should go and look at Spirit in the Sky, Stephanie Quick with... Her work on synchronicity being Ghost Dog is a Mystery Box in the right order. She will be on our live Twitter space on January the 6th in 2022. We've also got Elaine Myers in the room, who will be on January the 13th of 2022. And obviously, I forgot to mention that RN Voot will be there on 1st of March in 2022. Go look at Paranormal Blip. Also, go see Krista DeMeo on Twitter because she is very good on lucid dreaming. We have other people in the place, which I'm just checking that I haven't missed anybody. But the community is just amazing. And if you want to listen to more about the people that are connected to our community in Perceptions Today podcast, if you select the episode from a drop to an ocean, you'll hear nine other people who are connected and we're all moving forward together. So I just can't say it's just so 
grateful that you come and talk and actually spend the time with us. And Anthony probably will say the same. Absolutely. Okay, thanks, everybody, and speak to you all soon. Look forward to it. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. To help our research and understanding, leave Perceptions Today's podcast reviews, subscribe to the podcast, along with the other social media accounts, and share. Come and join our live events. That way we can get together and have thoughtful discussions along with advancing our understanding of concepts as we go along.